live from Germantown, Wisconsin, it's your favorite game show, Let's Make a Deal. And here's your host, Rod Rooney. Well, good morning, live church. Welcome to Let's Make a Deal. Yeah. All right. I'm your host, Rod Rooney, and I just have one question for you. Who's ready to make a deal this morning? All right, here's all I need. Simply enough, I need contestants. If you would like to be a contestant, all you have to do is stand up. Anybody who wants to be a contestant, okay. Contestant number one, come on up. Contestant number two. And number three, come on. Here we go. Stand right here. Contestant right there, right there, and then one over here. Here we go. You guys ready? All right, let me just explain how it works. Behind you, we have three doors. There's a prize behind each door, and you will have an opportunity to win that prize by picking one of these doors, or I will try to make a deal with you. Okay, you guys ready for this? All right, here's what we're going to do. Contestant, we'll call you contestant number one. Why don't you go ahead and pick a door? Door three. Contestant number two, what door would you like? Door number one, and you already have door number two. So here we go. Let's go to door number one. Before we look behind door number one, I'm going to tempt you with a $10 Starbucks gift card. So would you like to take this gift card home with you or see what's behind door number one? I would like to look behind the door, please. He's going to look behind the door. Let's see what's behind door number one. You've just won a brand new number two pencil. No longer will you have to look far for a writing device when you take your next Scantron test. We've supplied you with a state-of-the-art tool for all your high school needs. This prize package is worth just under 30 cents. I know. Hold down the excitement a little bit. I'm going to send you home with this pencil. Thank you for playing. You can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, buddy. Next, door number two. That was you, correct? Door number two. Okay, before we look behind door number two, I'm going to tempt you with a $10 Starbucks gift card. My tie just came out. That's okay, though. $10 Starbucks gift card. Would you like this, or would you like to see what's behind the door? Are you see? Behind the door. He's going behind the door. Let's see what's behind door number two. You've just won a date for two to Maggiano's. Enjoy the taste of Italy with a touch of elegance and romance. This prize package is worth $50. I don't know how old you are, son. I don't know if you should be dating, but you could give it to your parents if you wanted to. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks for playing with us this morning. Our last and final contestant, here we go. Now, let me explain this to you. Your door number three either has the pencil or the Maggiano's gift card. Okay, so I'm going to tempt you again with a $10 Starbucks gift card, or you can take a chance for that date for two. It's up to you. I'll take the gift card. He's taking the gift card. Thank you for playing with us. You know what? Just for fun, let's see what was behind door number three. 
just won a brand new number two pencil. No longer will you have to look far for a writing device when very you take your next Very good choice. I'm sure test. you're disappointed. We've this is a very nice pencil. It's a number two. I know school's in session and everybody's needing a test, but thank you. Guys, we've had a lot of laughs today, and frankly, a lot of dreams have come true. So thank you for joining us for Let's Make a Deal. I'm your host, Rod Rooney, signing off. And always remember, Life Church, stay classy. How do you top that, right? If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, it's page 861 in my Bible, if that helps you at all, and uh, Daniel chapter 6. And also, on the back side of your bulletin that you see when you came in, there's an outline if you want to follow along today and just take some notes. But today, we're talking about let's make a deal. And I don't know about you, but I love the whole art of deal making. It started as a kid playing, uh, trading baseball cards in which I still have my entire collection at my house. And every time we move, my wife goes, don't you want to throw these away? And I'm like, do you know who's in this collection? No, I don't want to know, she says. But anyhow, so, um, so anyhow, and then in comic books, and then I used to trade BMX bikes and all kinds of stuff. And now as an adult, it's gotten to where I like to, I love, I love going to car lots and talking to car salesmen. Maybe you don't like that. I love that. And uh, so I'm, I'm all these houses, cars, whatever I can trade and whatever deals I can make. But I have found in my life there's one person or place that I can't make a deal, and that's when it comes to God. When it comes to God, you cannot make a deal. You can only make a decision. When it comes to God, you can't make a deal. You can't deal with God. You can only make a decision. And today I want to look at someone's life. We're just going to look at a season of his life who spent his entire life having to make tough decisions and uh, refused to deal, but made decisions that lasted throughout his lifetime. Actually, I think that, uh, that this individual has probably one, of, um, probably one of the best books in the Bible when it talks about how, as a Christ follower, we should live in a world that's kind of hostile to what we believe and, and sometimes is not always friendly with what we believe. And, and in the autumn of his life, scholars say at this point in Daniel chapter 6 that, that, that uh, Daniel was in his late 70s, early 80s. He had worked under, this was the third regime, the third governmental structure, the third boss that he basically had worked under. And, and he he understood this, and this isn't in your notes, but you may want to write this down because this is the key, that I think, really to his success, is that he made a decision and refused to make a deal. He made a decision and he refused to make a deal. He didn't deal, he decided. And so Daniel finds himself in Daniel chapter 6, and, and we know this from, from VBS days from Vacation Bible School, is this is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But there's a lot more to it than just the lion's den portion of it. Matter of fact, let me give you a little bit of background. In, in, in chapter 5, it tells us that uh, the Medes and the Persians, and this is true according to Western civilization as well, that they had invaded this impregnable city of Babylon, had overtaken Babylon, and actually overtaken the entire Babylonian Empire, which was the premier uh, civilization of the world at that time. And the king or the leader was a Mede named Darius. He was about 62 years of age, historians tell us. And he was a very fair leader, but he was also a very ego-driven leader. Imagine that. 
And so he had a pretty sizable ego. And he comes into this position, and as he comes into this position, he begins to set up his government. And one of the things that he did is that he would take remnants of the existing government and also remnants of his of his government, and he would merge the two together. It would be a very classical modern-day merger and a structure and a corporate structure in order to kind of let the cream rise to the top, if you would. He, he didn't have a mentality that he was just going to completely do away with the Babylonians, but he was going to take the cream of the crop and the best of the best, and he was going to integrate them into his governmental system in order to help him rule the people of Babylon. So one of these individuals is Daniel. Matter of fact, he sets this up where he has three administrators, and Daniel's one of those. And what's interesting is that Daniel is not a Babylonian at all. Matter of fact, Daniel is a Hebrew. And back when he was somewhere in his late teens, uh, Daniel would have been poised to have been the prime minister of Israel, but is overtaken um, uh, by uh, the, the, the predecessor of, um, of, of, uh, of the Medes and the Persians of the Babylonian Empire. They overtake Jerusalem, and the Babylonians began to occupy Israel. And, and in doing so, da- Daniel has to work for a foreign government. And he spends his entire life working under very mag- various magistrates and kings in this foreign government. So Daniel is very well versed in how to deal with a different way of doing things. But Daniel's history doesn't go to the Babylonians. It goes all the way back to the Hebrews, back to the Israelites, back to the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And it's important to understand that. Because when Darius comes in, he doesn't just choose a Babylonian. He chooses a Hebrew to help lead in this new government. So Daniel's one of three administrators. And then there's 120 satraps or, or governors, if you would, that fall underneath there to help him set up this, uh, this new political structure. And um, we begin reading in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. It kind of tells us about this and leads us to the, the first door of decision that Daniel had to deal with. Verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the ki- kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 5. Finally, these men say, we will never find any basis or charges against Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, notice as we're reading along, Jehovah God is capitalized and the other gods are lowercase. It's important to understand that. So the administrator and the satraps went as a group. Understand, your adversaries will never go by themselves. There's always a he and they, but there's always a they. That's why when somebody ever comes to me as a pastor, goes, well, there's a group of people that have concerns about, and they feel this way, and I always want to know who's the he and they, because they, he never comes by himself. They always come with a they, because they're, anyhow. All right. So they go, went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. Again, they're playing to his ego. Verse 7, the royal administrators... The, per, the, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god, lowercase g, or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Again, another ego deal. Now, notice in this passage, it says that Daniel was excellent or exceptional, depending on which version that you're reading. 
And that word was where we get uh, the root word, where we get our word enthusiasm, which is a, is a two-part word, which means in theos or in God. It's interesting to understand that the word that we use in the, in the English language, enthusiasm, actually comes from a, it's actually a, an adjective or a description of someone that's in God. That when you're in God, you're enthusiastic. When you're in God, you're exceptional. When you're in God, you have an excellent spirit. That's the source of his strength. And so Daniel was this man that was kind of above reproach. Daniel was this guy who, who lived very much in a secular, ungodly world. But, he, but he, he was impervious to these things because he made decisions and he refused to deal. And these other two administrators and these 120 satraps or governors, they're gunning for Daniel. Why? Because, they, they wanna, they, because of his relationship with God? No. It had nothing to do with God. It had nothing to do with Daniel's personal relationship with God. They could care less. It had to do with the simple fact is that they were jealous of him. They were jealous of his place in, in the role in leadership. And you read on to find out that Darius actually kind of had him pinpointed to be the number two guy in the nation. I mean, this was the civilization on the planet. This was the world governing organization, if you would. And they wanted to take him out. And that's, that's, you know, that's the same tr- true in a company or organization. The people that rise to the top, especially if they do it right, you're trying to look for something. They, they can't be that squeaky clean. They can't be that together. They can't be this and that. And the reality was Daniel was. And Daniel comes to door number one, and he has to choose character over comfort. He has, he has to make a decision in his leadership under these ungodly organizations and governments that he's going to choose character over comfort. That's what got him there. Character over comfort. Over comfort. That, that's what gave him the exceptional qualities and, and this enthusiasm that he was in God because he chose character over comfort. Now let's talk about this just for a minute. Character is doing the right thing when nobody else is looking. Not when it counts, but when it doesn't count or when you don't think it counts. Doing the right thing even when nobody else is going to do. No. Doing the right thing even when there's no uh, perceived return. Doing the right thing to help someone even when nobody else except for you and God is going to know what's going on. And Daniel chose day in and day out to do the right thing. To serve uh, this, this government, secular as it may be, to do the right thing. To be honest. Even when his life was on the line, we see in previous chapters, to, to be honest, to, to, to lead with integrity, to, to do the right thing, even when it caused jealousy, even when it put him on an island by himself and all of his other contemporaries, these other two administrators and these 120 governors were all gunning for him. He still chose to do the right thing. Why? Because he chose character and not comfort. What's comfort? Comfort's the easy thing. Comfort's the easy choice. Comfort is the mentality that says, let's don't make waves. Let's, let's don't push too hard. Let's, let's, don't, let's, let's don't stand out. Let's, let's, let's just kind of blend in. And, and can I tell you that the same is true today, that you and I have this door that we can choose. And yeah, Rod Rooney's not there giving you an opportunity to what's behind door number one. Do you want to see that? Or are you going to choose that or not? But the reality is, is that you and I every day have this choice in front of us. Are we going to choose character, doing the right thing? And you know what's right and wrong. And if you don't, it's called the Bible. It's real simple. This isn't this is an IQ test. But we know. I mean, we, we, we know. We get it. Or am I going to choose comfort? And can I tell you, the longer that you serve Christ, the biggest enemy of your soul isn't some gross sin or immorality. It's comfort. It's comfort. The biggest enemy of a lifelong Christ follower is not gross sin or immorality. It's comfort. It's just 
ah, maybe I just don't need to be as radical, or maybe I don't really need to push as much, or maybe I've already kind of made my mark, or maybe I just don't need to make waves, or maybe I just don't need to, you know. I mean, do you, do you teach and you instruct your kids as Christ followers that when they sit down at the school lunch at the public school cafeteria that they should pray over their meal? Or do you teach them, what's well, okay, just blend in? Do, do, you te- do, 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 you, do you talk to each other about you as spouses when you're in the work environment that there's just certain things that you do and that you don't do and it, let the chips fall where they may because you're going to choose character over comfort? It doesn't matter if that's just what they do, if, they just, if it's just part of dealing with clients, if you just have to have this. If you don't have this, people don't come. If you don't do this, you're going to lose business. Really? Character or comfort? I mean, read the book of Daniel. If, you're, if you are a, a, a business leader of any capacity, I would encourage you, delve into the book of Daniel. Not for the Old Testament messianic prophecies that, that have connection to, uh, to Revelation, but just for the simple fact of how do you, as a Christ follower, live and achieve success in an ungodly world? Because that's where Daniel lived. I mean, that, that was his address. Character or comfort. As a church, the longer that we go and the bigger that we get and the more that God blesses, the number one enemy of our church is comfort. To go, well, maybe we don't need to push as hard. Well, you know, before we, we didn't have much. I mean, we were leasing 4,000 square feet, but now, you know, we've got about $5 million in assets on the books and we're getting ready for a $6 million expansion and then we're going to do a, a satellite campus over here in the western suburbs of Milwaukee and, and you've got staff and there's mouths to feed and there, there are babies and, and, and children and there are people that are connected to the livelihood of the church and, and we don't want to make anybody mad and we don't want to lose anybody. And what if you say something that steps over the line? I'm telling you, the greatest enemy that we face is not gross sin or immorality or even stupid decisions. It's comfort. It's just sliding into this comfortable place. It's just kind of just kind of pushing down. It's just kind of hunkering down. It's just kind of not making waves. And in doing so, we begin to cheat character. And nobody else may know, but it comes out in the end. And Daniel refused to deal when it came to character. He refused to deal when it came to comfort. He chose character over comfort. Now let's read about the next decision that he makes in verses 10 through verse 15. The Bible says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Verse 11, These men went as a group. They never go by themselves, always as a group. And they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Verse 12, So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you publish a decree? Look, look how they flipped this thing. Did you publish a decree during the next 30 days that anyone who prays to a god, lowercase g, or man, except you, O king, in playing to the ego, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. Again, these guys are gunning for him pays no attention to you, O king, capital, or or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed because he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Verse 15, the men went as a group, again, not by themselves, but as a group, to the king, and said to him, Remember, O king, 
That in accordance to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. You understand, this is happening through the context of the entire day. They're going back and forth with this. Door number two, Daniel chose to take his faith in God public over private. He chose to take his faith in God public over just keeping it private. Oh, he was living the life privately. We see that in his life. But he chose to take it public over private. It's one thing to make a private decision to live for Christ. And I get that. And that's where it begins. But that private decision that you make to live for Jesus is going to have an opportunity to go public. And the question is, when it has the opportunity to go public, are you, well, are you going to be willing and ready to stand up on the line and be counted? Because that's what was happening with Daniel. This private decision to pray to God, this private decision to, to, to honor God, this private decision to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe pushed him into a place that not because of his own choosing, but because of people, because the adversary of his soul made it go public. And Daniel could have said, well, you know, God, you know my heart, so I'm just going to kind of pray to myself right now. Or God, you understand, I'm just not trying to, I, I, I want to build relationships first. I want to be a little bit sensitive to other people, and I just kind of want to just, I, I just, I want to let people get to know me before they know that I am a Christ follower. So I just want to blend for just a little bit, God. Again, comfort. It's not what he did. As was his practice. As was his custom. As was his discipline. He went and he prayed, knowing the cost. Knowing it would cost him not just his job, but his life. Knowing what was going on. Knowing who was gunning for him. Knowing that, why didn't he just close the windows? If he had closed the windows, they wouldn't have heard. But he would have known. See, that's the issue. When you talk about public or private, the person that knows is you and God. You know and God knows whether you're pulling back or whether you're pushing forward. You know or God knows whether you're ultimately ashamed of him or you're proud of him. Now, understand, I, I'm not asking you to go to your like, business or your factory or your company and stand up on the lunchroom table and get a megaphone out and go, Repent, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, you sinners in the hands of an angry God. I'm not asking you to do that. Matter of fact, I don't really think that does a whole lot of good. To be really honest with you, a few weeks ago, I was coming back on a Friday night. Uh, it was a flight, and I was going through Mitchell, and I'm coming back to go to the parking garage to get my car, and there's a lady that's just blaring that everybody's going to hell in the airport. We're all dying. The end of the world. She's got a track that will save us. And I, and I don't mean to judge her. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But she doesn't know me. And I'm walking along right there where the red box is. And I'm walking along going to my car, and she just is she looks at me and she said, sir, do you know that you're going to hell? And I said, I I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. But I said, no. <laughs> and I, I tried to be nice at first. Let me back this up so you get a little context. I tried to be nice and go, thank you, no, thank you. And she wasn't going to let it go. No, sir, I'm talking to you. To me? You're going to hell. Your sins. And she's just railing on me. And I just, I mean, and I, I just said, me? And she goes, yes, you. You said her. And I wanted just to do, you know, I wanted to pull out in the name of Jesus. Uh, but I, I didn't. And I just, I just kind of just smiled and went on. And I just thought, wow. I mean, I'm turned off by that. And I believe what she's saying. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And her heart's right. But, but so I'm not asking you to do that. 
But I'm asking you, I agree that your relationship with Christ is a private thing. And I believe you should be respectful of other people. But only to the point that it doesn't infringe upon your personal rights. See, tolerance and bigotry have been words that have been stolen from our vocabulary as Christ followers in the world that we live in. And we're told that if we don't accept, not be okay with, but accept and condone other lifestyles or other ideologies outside of God's word, that we are intolerant bigots. And I'd like to meet the person who gets to judge and decide who's an intolerant bigot and who's not. I'd like to read their dictionary just for a moment because I think it's a self-refuting theory that has no precedence or holds no water whatsoever, theological and otherwise. Because at the end of the day, aren't you a self-righteous, indulgent, intolerant bigot to tell me that I can't serve the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Aren't you want someone to tell me that I can't pray to my God whenever I choose to? Aren't you, who do you think that you are that I can't? It's interesting, in the public schools in Germantown, my middle schooler came home last year, and they taught on every single world religion except for Christianity. And it's a world religion class. I don't have a problem with that. I understand it's public school. You know, I, I got it. Freedom of speech. I, I get the whole freedom of religion. And I'm not one of these people that, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to yank my kid out of public school. I, we're just going to go sit down and talk and just say, can you explain to me why you give no precedence to this thing that, that is as formidable, as large as, as Muslim and Islam and Hindu? And I, I, get, I get why you're teaching this, but why? At some point in time, we have to make a decision. Are we going to just keep our faith private or are we going to go public? And we don't always get to choose when we get to do that. Daniel didn't get to choose when he got to do that. It, it, it was something that was chosen for him. And I'm just saying, in those moments, in those instants, you can't make a deal with God and go, now, you know, God, if, if, if you'll just work this out, you know, I'll be, and God, if you'll just give me strength, and God, let's make a deal on this. How about I'm, a, how about I'm just like, I bring my Bible to work on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but Monday, Wednesday, Fridays on those corporate meetings, I'm just, we just keep it in the briefcase. How about that, God? You cannot deal with God. You make a decision, period. And Daniel understood this. So when his faith was, his private faith was pushed to go public, because he wasn't pushing it, he wasn't, he didn't have a megaphone, he, he wasn't trying to start a fight. This group was coming against him, but he had a decision to make. And the decision that he had to make was to follow God in private that affected, that, that, that affected his public life, that he was not ashamed. That's the question. And the only person that knows that is you. And I used to think that peer pressure was just something that our high school or our junior high students deal with, but I don't think so. And the older I get, the more I realize it's not something that's just going away. And, and go, you just don't understand. Try this one on for size. Every time I sit down in an airplane seat next to some business person, they go, what do you do for a living? I'm a Pentecostal pastor of an evangelical church. The wall goes up. They don't want to talk to me. They don't want to hear from me. They don't even ask me to, you know, could you hand me that magazine? They, they don't want anything. In my neighborhood, I've got great neighbors. You move in the neighborhood, and all of a sudden, what do you do? Oh, I'm, I'm the pastor at Life Church. The wall goes up. Why? Because who, I mean, it, it, do you remember when you saw your first grade teacher at the grocery store? It was like, wow, they exist outside the classroom. I get that sometimes with people like, whoa, it's the pastor. He's walking down the aisle at Sendex. 
I'm Aaron. Nice to meet you. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things. And, and people that know me in the community, I'm not cramming anything down anybody's throat. But at the same time, I'm not going to back up for what I feel. I'm not going to back up for what I, I believe in. And I'm not going to pull back. And I'm not here to try to make a point, but I'm here to live my life for Christ. And I think this is a big deal that we can't deal with God. We just have to make a decision. Am I going to be public with my faith in Christ? Or am I going to try to deal with God? But just understand, God doesn't deal on this issue. In the last decision we read in verse 16 through verse 23, the last door. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed, sealed it with his own signet ring and the, king, and the ring of his nobles, so that, the, so that Daniel's situation may not be changed. And the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him because he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, your God, whom you serve continually, has been able, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Again, it's only important that you live for the audience of one. That's the ultimate judge. Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel chose his love for God over his own life. Daniel chose his love for God over, over, over the love for his own life. He chose his love for God over his life. I hope none of us ever have to face choosing, are we going to live and die for our faith in Christ? You understand, though, today, there will be people in this world that will be martyred. They will be killed. They will be tortured and tormented because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Today. This is not something that just happened in the Old Testament. Growing up in church, I used to think, well, this used to be something that happened years ago or happened, you know, with the disciples or whatever. And you had this idea that the world is just like the United States, and it's not. And I hope that nobody in this room ever has to face that. But I will tell you something that every one of us will face. If you make a private decision to serve Jesus Christ, it will cost you something. It may cost you a promotion. It may cost you money. It may cost you a family. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you energy. It may cost you time. It may cost you a reputation. It will cost you something. Jesus said, count the cost. And if you're not willing... To, to walk away from everything, to follow me, then don't follow me. Those aren't my words, they're his words. And I know we have this comfortable Christianity in America, but the reality is, if you're going to serve Christ, even today in Milwaukee, it's going to cost you something. Could, because, you know, it can be as simple as, hey, you don't go to the same parties and the same gatherings that you used to, and people, people don't, they disassociate with you, and it personally hurts you. 
It can be that, that, that you're kind of the, the Jesus freak in the neighborhood and nobody really wants to invite you to the parties because at the end of the day, you're going to bring your little Christianity idea. It can be the fact that you know, you're going to that church and that strip mall. Is that a cult? What's going on there? The windows are darkened out. We don't really know a lot about that. And it doesn't look like a traditional church. Are you guys drinking Kool-Aid and handling snakes? What's going on in the room? To which I respond, come and find out. No, I'm just teasing. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something to be a Christ follower. And you can't make a deal with God. Because, see, we like to make these deals with God. You know, God, I, you know, I, I'll bring the tithe if you'll increase my business. God, I, I'll give the missions and go on this mission trip if you'll just do this. God, if you'll just touch my sick child, I, I'll do this for you. And God, if you'll just do this, if you'll help my house sell, then I'll do this for you. And God, if you'll do this. And listen to me, God doesn't make deals. There's not a door number one, door number two, door number three with God. There's a decision. There's no deals. You decide. That's the reason why all throughout the scripture, Jesus says, decide. Count the cost. You don't know what it's going to cost you. It could cost you your life. It may not. And I will take care of you and I'll be with you. But it doesn't mean that you're impervious to danger and having to give some things up in life. I'm telling you, there is a cost to following Jesus. And unless you have some comfortable Christianity, that eternity will reveal your slack and your lack in your own life in this world. It's going to cost you something. And are you willing to give that up? It is. It is. Life's messy. It's complicated. We don't have answers. There are people that ask me questions that the most deeply theological response I can give them is, I don't know. I just don't know. I can make up an answer that would sound really good. But I don't know. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I don't understand the sin and the curse of this world. And I understand that because sitting here in the world that there's a curse and we have to work by the sweat of our brow and that things happen and sickness and disease. But I don't know. And I've done funerals where I've had to stand. And, 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 and I don't have answers. I have more questions than I do answers. But I'm telling you, we're not always going to have the answers. It's not always going to be some neat Tupperware package deal to follow Jesus. It's going to be messy. Now, if you want, I'm sure there's somebody selling some version of religion and Christianity on the corner that will tell you that everything's going to be perfect and life's just going to get one step better and one step better to glory and it's always going to be good and, and it's good shift lollipop. And I'm just telling you, that's, that holds no theological precedence or water. But I will tell you this. As you look and read the rest of the chapter... You find that Daniel, who made a decision, was saved. But the satraps and the governors, who made a deal with the king, died. In the very den that Daniel was saved in. And I will tell you this. The Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. And that God is ultimately in control. And that when you make a decision to serve God... He will honor that decision and will preserve you. And the people that make deals in life, ultimately the deal that they make will be the deal that will kill them and that will be the den of death that you may be saved from but that they'll die and it'll devour them. 
You go, why are you so passionate about this? Because I think we as Christ followers, so many times, we as people, so many times, we try to make deals with God. We, we try to broker a deal, and I get that, and I love the art of the deal, and I love the whole thing, and when it comes together and all this kind of stuff, but when it comes to God, there are no deals. His word is yes and amen. Here's the way. Walk ye in it. And if you choose not to, then here's the, here's the wide, easy road that leads to destruction. But here's the narrow way and, and few that find it and rough that it is. And you go, wow, that's just pretty harsh. It's reality. It's going to cost you something. You can't deal with God. And Daniel lived his life And he knew one very important thing, that you cannot make a deal with God. You can only make a decision. 